My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? John Cass hosts a great podcast called The State of Global Agile Marketing. John, tell listeners what to expect from the show. The State of Global Agile Marketing seeks to discover how agile marketing is being deployed in different countries around the world. I interview marketers at brands, at agencies, or who are consultants, and explore how companies in different countries are now using agile marketing. Agile marketing is the use of agile methods to manage the marketing process. Interesting. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at globalagilemarketing.com, on marketingpodcast.net, or search for the state of global agile marketing wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Verdino, and I am here with Jeff Livingston, who is conducting the choir, it appears. How are you, Jeff? Very good, my friend. Welcome back. We missed Thank you last you. time. Thank you so much. Great episode. As, I, as I've as i said to you offline, you have all the fun without me, um, but I'm glad you were able to hold the fort down, uh, put a good show out, and as keep as the as ball leave, rolling. Babbling about Hollywood and the Terminator. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it's crazy. Happy Halloween. We are recording this on October 31st. It'll be hitting the airwaves, the digital airwaves on November 1st. Um, but uh, today is, in fact, Halloween. Are you all set for some trick-or-treating? Oh, yeah. we got the candy stash. We love, uh, we love this holiday. You know, it's right around our kids' birthday, so it's always awesome. I even have Absolutely. Darth Vader right behind me and a I little Dia de la Mortos. Look at that. Look yeah. at that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, How about you? So, um, so we've got a good episode today for everybody. Um, I actually thought we had done an episode on a similar topic once before. We, yeah, I'm sure generators. we stuff yeah. part of an episode, uh, but it turns out that we didn't. Um, you know, so this one should be pretty interesting. So, um, obviously, a lot of people are using image generators, uh, things like Midjourney and Dolly Three, and so on and so forth. Um, and a lot has happened since the last episode, even in the world of image generation a lot of movement a lot of stuff going on open open ai uh, integrated 
Dolly 3 into ChatGPT Pro. Finally, I finally have availability there. Uh, I'm hoping you do too. Me as too, well. over the weekend. Uh, absolutely. You and I are obviously not power users because we get right. it later than everybody else. Right. Which Literally makes sense because else. we're probably more evolved AI users than don't use chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, you know, uh, Adobe's had some updates. A number of other companies have introduced some new features and functionality around image generation, including Amazon, but not in the land of large language models and sort of commercial grade um, LL, you know, uh, generative AI. Interestingly enough, they are integrating it into a more specific use case, which is to help their advertisers, uh, which is interesting since they are, of course, a an 800-pound gorilla in online retail e-commerce advertising. But very similar to Facebook, right? I know we'll get into Absolutely. this later, but yeah, yeah, like very targeted and business-minded. Absolutely. And at the same time, while all of this is going on, we're starting to see the artists who many of whom are have been actively suing all of the large AI companies, uh, not just writers, but visual artists as well, um, have been landing lawsuits left and right. Uh, but there are some interesting developments there, too, with a poison pill uh, that artists can use to essentially infect their work in a way that will or potentially could render image generators far less effective than they are even today. So as all of this is going on, you know, naturally marketers, whether you're an agency or an advertiser or a brand strategist, imagery is very near and dear to our hearts. And um, while I am not an artist myself, I certainly work with plenty of artists. You, of course, sir, are an artist as a photographer. <laughs> um, not a good one. I will also say that for sure but uh, no no uh, jeff is a jeff is a very fine photographer and i'm very, about to teach my first course in two years I'm, I'm moving nice, back nice. into photography post post value sir finally nice well you know i'm I, I i will say in all seriousness i've been i've been nothing but impressed with the journey jeff has been on because i remember way back when the first time you picked up a camera um and all of the progress you've made and how great your photography has become over time oh, thank um, you so so do check him out as a photographer he's not just a mediocre uh, podcaster he is also a quite excellent photographer uh, and um, i will gonna, say that ai has made me a better photographer in ways right because there of course are plenty of ways that artificial intelligence is woven into all of the applications you just use just like everything absolutely, even the camera ab absolutely right it's right yeah. it's right there in the camera doing image stabilization and you know finding bird's eyes and whatnot right and uh, inescapable inescapable so it is everywhere ai is everywhere speaking of everywhere we are everywhere too so if you are watching us well on done, youtube <laughs> uh, watch out um we're looking through your bedroom window if you are watching us on youtube it's halloween uh, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're watching us on youtube please be sure to smash the like button uh and subscribe to our channel of course feel free to leave us comments we enjoy those when they are on point and relevant sometimes they're not sometimes they're spam but not our listeners they give us the good stuff and wherever you 
happen to be listening, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcast or any place else, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review No Brainer Podcast. Uh, so, um, why don't we dive in, Jeff? Let's, uh, you know, I kind of did a bunch of rambling setup there, but why don't you bring us up to speed on the, the image generator landscape and some of the big changes that we see happening? Yeah. And I think to your point, we have talked about these individually at points, particularly earlier in the podcast when we would cover more news. And even though this is like a newsy centric episode, I think people that listen to us know we don't like to cover the news. We'd like to analyze it. We like to dive a little deeper. And I think to do that, it'd probably be helpful to talk about image generators. And we'll put a timestamp in here in case you're familiar with the marketplace already. But most marketers don't know the full landscape. Uh, and so, you know, before we talk about Firefly and Dolly, uh, which both had significant upgrades, and of course the Amazon image tra- generator, uh, we had a marketplace that for all intents and purposes was a four horse race, uh, which was mid journey, stable diffusion, Dolly, and then of course Firefly. And mid journey and stable diffusion, which did not upgrade last week, uh, or the last two weeks were probably the better, uh, image generators. Mid journey was fantastic. Probably the leader for people that were individuals. Stable Diffusion, the Enterprise Edition, fantastic. Uh, really, just really strong, particularly if you could afford that $500 a month fee to license it, right? So it's pro-grade. Um, and also, it's the choice for Amazon in their own system. And I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon's deployment is actually based off of Stable Diffusion, um, which makes a lot of sense, all things considered. Uh, that wasn't release that I could find, uh, but you kind of get the perspective. Now, both Adobe and OpenAI were relevant, not because their generators were good. They were actually kind of cartoonish and kind of cloddish, I would say, at least from my perspective. I don't know about yours. Uh, but because they had distribution, they they were getting a lot of play. I mean, basically, OpenAI bundle, uh, bundled Dolly with anybody that was licensing uh, GPT-3.5, Turbo, or 4. Um, and that's for all the developers out yeah. there. And a lot of the reskin yeah. cheapies that you're seeing out there, like HubSpots, are based off of Dolly. Yeah, and, and even, you know, you look at some of the early brand experiments with generative AI, like Coca-Cola, where Coke could have chosen any image generation model in the world, but because of their tight... Uh, partnership with Bain and OpenAI, Dolly three became the default image generator. Things for like create for things like Create Real Magic, right? Uh, where I'm sure they could have had much better art had they worked with someone like a Stable Diffusion or um, found a, mid- a way to work with Midjourney. Although I don't know of anybody working with Midjourney. Do you? Yeah, I'm not aware of anyone who's got an official partnership. Certainly, and no. You know, I'd even wonder whether anybody... I think it's like this ongoing university project. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know that I've even, you know, at least to my eye, have recognized any mid-journey imagery popping up just that people are using. Oh, Um, we use it. A lot of great experimentation. Yeah, I've been seeing it in some advertising and stuff. Okay. But, but, you know, it's also the place where they created the Pope image. So everybody that saw that, right, you know, it's very photoreal outside of the eight fingers. Right, yes. (laughs) <laughs> and they got a new version coming. 
Uh, and, and of course, Firefly, which we talked about extensively in the past, you know, is bundled with Adobe Creative Suite and it's being integrated into all the Adobe apps, which is actually very smart because instead of relying on Firefly to create standalone images, what you have is Firefly being used to repair other images, which is very, actually very robust and helpful. And if you think about, again, the professional design community, the professional photography community, you have them locked in. And if you're going to give it to them for free, I mean, like, obviously it makes it a lot easier than paying 30 bucks a month for uh, mid-journey or, you know, paying for um, uh, stable diffusion. So, you know, they both these companies benefited from their distribution and already their strong market weight. I would say mid-journey really suffers, not just because of the lack of distribution, uh, which may or may not be in their best interest based off of what they're trying to achieve, but also the interface is Discord. And yeah. AI people and tech people love Discord. Real people hate Discord unless they're 12 years old. And, you know, it's really a teen app. It's a tween app. Uh, or it's in that tech community. Uh, yeah. And yeah. This is where all the prompting stuff comes in because you really have to prompt yeah. the journey, right? Like right. you have to become pretty good at it. Um, and I understand it, their working towards a standalone interface, which would improve matters for them. But I agree with you 100%. Discord is their Achilles heel. And 100%. I don't see them, I don't see them mainstreaming in the way some of these other tools could, even if they are technically better and visually superior until they get outside of that world of kludgy Discord servers. Totally agree. And I think that's like the big handicap on them really becoming widespread and the number one adopted image generator. Uh, now, if they get acquired, that's the first thing anybody that does defies them, um, which I could also see happening. And in the case of Stable Diffusion, they're kind of, I think they suffer from being small. You know, I mean, they, they, they have some bigger partners, but they are kind of like the little engine that could compared to OpenAI and Adobe. Uh, and also their interface isn't great either, to be candid. Uh, I don't really like it. I think it's kind of primitive. It's hard to use and resize. And, you know, they could definitely benefit from a stronger UI. So that's where we are now. Now let's set the table. Um, Greg, do you want to go into what happened uh, with Adobe first? Sure. So Adobe, obviously, some months ago, announced Firefly and started to roll out sort of beta, I guess I would call it, integration into some of their applications. Um, and certainly they were, I think it was a welcome addition to their suite where it was available, but it wasn't quite ready for prime time in terms of the quality of the output and the level of sophistication. Um, but um in the course of the past few weeks, um, they've begun to make some significant moves. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is now available across all of their applications. Um, Correct. You know, and you're probably a much heavier user than I am, but it is in, you know, it is in most importantly Photoshop. It's in Illustrator. It's in Adobe Express, which yeah. is they're really pushing Illustrator. Right, competitor. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is that while you can, in fact, use 
Adobe Generative AI to create images from scratch, a lot of their features and functionality come down to ways to manipulate existing images. Um, things like Generative Fill and Generative Expand, which allow you to do things like change backgrounds or kind of blow out a, you know, kind of like the background, you know, from a small shot to a huge wide angle, let's say. Um, you can do things like recolor using Generative AI and Illustrator, and I believe probably in Photoshop too, right? You know, give, you know, take Jeff's black shirt and make it a red shirt. Um, yes. And confuse the world. Um, because Jeff would never wear a red shirt, right? So there's all sorts of tools like that. Might be surprised. That are, <laughs> that are, um, <laughs> that are, that are rolled out, um, across the applications. At the same time, I know, you know, as you said earlier in their evolution, the images that Adobe Firefly created tend to be, tended to be kind of more illustrator-like or cartoonish. Yeah. Uh, and now they've definitely taken a step up. You know, we can discuss whether it's a big enough step up, but they've taken a step yeah. up to we, much we more photorealistic. Because I, I definitely toyed around with them I, yeah. after the releases. I don't know if you did, but... Yeah, a little I, bit. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a couple of things. I, I, I still don't think either of them are there, you know? I, I think progress but they haven't gotten the cigar yet you yeah. know that's my 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 big macro takeaway but in the case of adobe adobe's got so many freaking filters on their their generator to prevent people from doing things that are shall we say a little slim shady right but it's become so pc that basically it won't do anything and like you know i put out that blog to help promote the last episode with the five AI ghouls. Yeah. And uh, I had to use Midjury to create a picture of the Terminator pointing a gun. Right? right. And that's literally what the prop was, the Terminator pointing a gun. I don't really get, you know, too in-depth because I know that some of these images have already been rendered well. So in the case of Midjury, clearly they had indexed the Terminator. They had an Arnold picture. It was an older Arnold. Uh, it wasn't the, the original T-800. And they were able to point a gun in the rain in a right. dystopian scene. Um, you know, Firefly wouldn't even produce an image. In fact, when I did finally get to produce images, it was like white people smiling in office wear. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't what I want. Now, the images were good. I mean, you can tell that they've indexed a lot of stock photography with people yeah. in it. And so the, the people images are a lot better than actually, I would say, competitive with Mid Journey and Stable Diffusion. But getting it there, man, woof, really painful. Yeah. It's, you know, I think that's a case where sort of a benefit is also a hindrance, right? Because, you know, one of the advantages they have, at least on paper, is if you are working at or on behalf of an enterprise brand those kinds of guardrails the fact that the uh that the model is trained on rights cleared images everything's properly licensed you're not going to worry about 
piracy and IP and copyright issues and all those things in terms of what's what's brought into your art um you know the fact that you can't kind of you know a rogue art director can't go off the rails and start producing images with spokespersons or the likeness of a spokesperson uh, right. that could get you into trouble or something like a gun that might right now all these things yeah, the gun good. thing yeah i mean i could see why that's that yeah. way but i would but also then, say that 51 percent of the population would probably Right. Not feel that way. Well, you've got the flip side, right? And if you're in a more conservative oriented business, and just so everybody's clear, I do not support using guns in any way. I just want that put out there. We're in this very PC era. And, you know, I I would say that I, I definitely do not support what we've been seeing that's happening in society with that kind of thing. But that being said, more marketers. And we know that 50 some percent of the brands out there cater to that audience. And that's part of the, that's part of the gig, man. If you're on a more conservative brand, then that's the imagery that you may want to use, particularly if you're in a rural setting. Okay. And there are a lot of companies that do that kind of work and right. you can't use Adobe. You can't right. use Adobe AI. Right. Then. That's yeah. just gone. Right. You know, so it'll be interesting to see. How it evolves over time, right? Whether it becomes less restrictive over time, whether it stays just as restrictive, um, and I yeah. guess we'll see. And it might just have certain use cases and other use I, cases where it doesn't make sense. Alcohol, tobacco, firearms, marijuana, forget it, man. It's the whole ATF thing from advertising. You know, it's what side of that yeah. fence you sit on. So anything right. like that, out, right? And then the other thing that I found disappointing about that Terminator thing, and I, I'm just being candid here, is that Conceptually, I understand not showing Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I do think you could show an image of something that looks like basically a nasty robot, right? Like, you know, that looks like a T-series monster. Right. right. And Something that plays to the cultural reference, right? Interpretive, right? And, and, and it's just not there. And so whenever people, like, this is the whole AI argument, is it intelligent, is it not... I, you know, I do think that if you consider intelligence to be doing something that requires thought, that these algorithms have gotten to that point where you, you can consider it to be at least some sort of action that humans would have to think through doing. But the lack of creative capability in AI really comes through there. And the algorithms haven't advanced to the point to give AI license to do that kind of interpretation off of a stated social zeitgeist. Yeah. I, I wonder to what extent some of these limitations, not all of the limitations, but I wonder to what extent some of the limitations, especially quality limitations in a tool like Adobe are less of a challenge in the sense that if you're a prosumer or a, co- or a consumer using a mid-journey or a Dolly 3, which we're going to get into in a minute, um, that's one thing, right? You know, you might not have any 
real understanding of how to now go in and edit and modify and really tweak a file to make it yours. Uh, whereas if you're an Adobe user and you're already an expert at Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever, I'm wondering if the idea is, at least for now, as of October 31st, 2023, um, a good enough tool is still going to provide a great designer or photo editor or art director with raw source material that they can make their own and really perfect, deal with the six fingers and all that kind of stuff um, in a way that is professional. Um, that doesn't get you around issues like constraints around alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Right. Those um, are ethical, those are ethical choices. Right. right. Um, that's an ethical thing, but um, I'm wondering, you know, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like as a, yeah, as, totally. a, as, a as a semi-pro photographer, you could take something that looks reasonably photorealistic, get into Photoshop and make it really sing. Right. Um, uh, in fact, I would that's say that's the difference between good photographers and bad ones. I mean, even Ansel Adams was a, a master in the dark room. Right. You know, so is that, you know, I'm wondering in through that lens, if you're an agency art director, um, is good enough, good enough, at least as a starting point to spark the next phase of creativity, I, right? I think so, right? And like, if I think one of the things that we've seen from an innovation standpoint with AI that people don't talk a lot about is, you know, part of people that are experienced workers that kind of know what they want, but maybe they're like seven tenths of the way there and they plug in their prompt, which is, by the way, if you want to be a great prompter, just use a Use a, a creative brief and plop that in there and see what you get back because you'll be really surprised at how good of a prompt it is. You know, there you go, the tip to prompting. But, yeah. you know, I was, I, was telling, I was telling a client that just the other day. It's like, it's like you don't have to learn how to prompt. You have to, like, if you know how to write a creative brief, you know how to prompt. That, <laughs> that gives you, that should give the model everything it needs to know to get you most of the way where you want it to go. Just like you would prompt an artist. Oh my right. God. Oh my God. Oh. But anyway, all right. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. But I do think if you're seven tests or six tests of the way there, you drop that brief in there. You're going to get some iterations that go, not that, but that's close. I could take it here, right? It, it can help you crystallize and help be part of your creative process. Yeah, I think you're right on right. that. Okay, cool. So let's move on to sort of the other end of the market. Dali, Dali. Dali, ChatGPT, our friends at OpenAI. Yeah, um, so I think this is the first big step to their multimodal Right. So, you know, Dolly 3 is, of course, first and foremost, a substantial improvement over Dolly 2. Right. Um, but really, the still action, cartoony. Right. It's still not fantastic. Um, but it is, be it, you know, their model continues to get better. Um, but the real action comes in the way they have now integrated Dolly 3 with ChatGPT or fundamentally GPT-4 um, and served it up within, for most users, ChatGPT+. Plus. Right. So if you were a plus it's a, it's user... It's a play, right? Yeah. yeah. So now essentially what happens is you can um, 
put a text prompt into ChatGPT and it will return an image result. Um, so, you know, whatever it is, you know, generate an image of, you know, three turtles sitting on a rock and it will give you back a couple of options of three turtles sitting on a rock. As Jeff said, more cartoony than photorealistic in my experience. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is Even that when you tell it to be photorealistic, right. by the way. Um, but, um, that's, and that's in the capability, I think, of the, the image generation model. Um, but what's interesting is essentially what's happening is ChatGPT is making an API call to the Dolly, um, algorithm and, you know, which then sends the image data back to ChatGPT. So you're going to say that it's basically acting like a force plugin. Exactly. Um, but, but what's interesting about that is certainly GPT-4 is, a much more powerful large language model than, you know, than the kind of sort of text natural language processing you see in something like, I'm sure, an Adobe or a, um, a mid journey, right? So it actually is fairly easy to prompt in plain language. Yes, it is. And then, you know, without having to understand all of the intricacies of, you know, kind of visual vocabulary well, um, and get something that's acceptable. I decided to tr- give it a real kick in the teeth and try it out with a campaign I was building for a client. And so what I did was, uh, or, or a partner that I'm doing this uh, Association AI Day conference that I'm co-hosting with uh, Association Trends and Association Chat on Monday coming up. Register if you want, uh, if you're in DC. But, um, the thing is with it, what I did was I wrote up the copy. I took a transcript from a mini podcast I did with our keynote, Amber Ivy, who's a fantastic, uh, lady. She's, uh, been in ML and AI for about a decade now. Really smart person. But I took the chat, the transcript from that 15 minute conversation. I slapped it into chat GPT. I said, take this and turn it into a podcast notes. Did that relatively well, needed some editing, of course, but good enough to for me to take it from five tests to eight tests and clean it. Then I had it write the, the social media post. Did okay with that again. I, I you know, I, I don't really get too picky with it. I just pull it out and edit it. Um, you know, once it gets close enough. And then I told it to create an image prompt based off of the of the whole thing. And it did. And then I said, Great, now make the image. And it came back. And it, even though it was cartoony, it was pretty good except for one thing. And th- I mean, outside of the cartoony thing, I asked it to be photoreal, could not do it, kicked back another cartoon. Uh, and then, you know, I could have put in some of the prompts I use with Midjourney, like Nikon, you know, use me a, give me a Z1 image or a Z9 image. Sorry, there's no Z1. Give me a Z9, you know, that kind of stuff. But it came back with a conference setting big screen, keynote, everybody was white. Everybody was white. Now, again, back to our creative brief conversation, did I tell it to be diverse? No, but I did do what everybody else that's a jack shit crap marketer is going to do, which is basically, I'll let the AI just do it, mm-hmm. right? Instead of coming mm-hmm. back and prompting it. And, and to me, uh, it was really disappointing because what it did was it revealed the bias, Right, that all of its large conference images are of white people, you know. Yeah, yeah. and so you, right away, you know, Dolly Three is biased. 
Right. You know, which, you know, I think, you know, I mean, obviously we've known, everyone knows it's part of the conversation. And I don't know if there's a real plan to address that kind of bias. Um, but um, it, it well, is a would, challenge, right? You know, it's. Yeah. yeah. Every marketer, I mean, I would just take it, and this is maybe bad on my part, but I just take it for granted that you would think not to put a bunch of white people in an image. Right, uh, well, with like twenty way, people, you, you have a theory of the world <laughs> and yes. an understanding of what and my is theory is wrong. <laughs> uh, whereas, whereas the AI does not, and of course, that's a big piece of the conversation around like what is intelligence and blah 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 blah. Not to go right. theoretical, I know, uh, but. Um, you know, but there is that whole idea of that is a that is certainly a difference between human intelligence and machine intelligence is we have real experience of how the way the world works. We have real experience of what current social and moral and ethical and you know cultural norms are um even if the reality in many cases still seems to be it's you know the vast majority of people on the stage are male pale and stale like we are um there's you know better they ball exactly there's there is the you know there is of course you know a sensitivity to that these days that nai might not be clued into right so um certainly we have that kind of challenge um yeah but so uh, yeah so not quite there right there's some problems but you know let's be honest because of the bundle we're gonna see a lot of people using this right and yeah i mean it's just OpenAI has an unfair advantage compared to the other. Well, I don't think it's unfair. They've earned it, they have an right? Advantage. They've earned it, and it's a competitive marketplace. But they have that advantage, and they're making everything of it. Because really, I candidly, I don't think Dolly would be around anymore based off of Dolly's right, crap performance yeah. if they weren't bundling it. Yeah. So you know, and I don't unlike Adobe and Firefly. <clears throat> I don't necessarily see, you know, a lot of Fortune 50 brands going to chat GPT plus and cranking out a bunch of no. down three images. So it's really a different audience. It's either a prosumer or a consumer. Or where technologists. It's all these Silicon Valley right? idiots. Or it's a Silicon Valley nerd. Sorry if you're or there. It's a smaller <laughs> brand that can't otherwise afford illustration, right? So it's a different, a bit of a different market where having integrated easy access to a workable solution is better than having nothing my dad works in b2b marketing but i never really knew what that meant then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big mql man then he just kept saying things like the more mqls the better over and over my friends still laugh at me to this day I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, 
to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? John Cass hosts a great podcast called The State of Global Agile Marketing. John, tell listeners what to expect from the show. The State of Global Agile Marketing seeks to discover how agile marketing is being deployed in different countries around the world. I interview marketers at brands, at agencies, or who are consultants, and explore how companies in different countries are now using agile marketing. Agile marketing is the use of agile methods to manage the marketing process. Interesting. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at globalagilemarketing.com, on marketingpodcast.net, or search for the state of global agile marketing wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. All right. Welcome back, everybody. So we're, we're going to move over to Amazon. We suspect that this was built with Stable Diffusion since they are licensing that and putting it out uh, via their cloud services on AWS. Um, and in the press release, Amazon says Amazon Ads has launched image generation beta. Basically, we don't know if it's great and we want to make sure that we have legal bias for legal grounds for saying, whoops, we didn't realize I could do that. Um, it's a generative AI solution designed to remove creative barriers and enable brands to produce lifestyle imagery that helps improve their ads performance. This is a really smart domain specific approach to using generative AI and it's not unsimilar to what Google's done with their own search ads and what Meta is doing with its social networks and the AI it's deploying now. And there are <laughs> promises to deploy in there uh, for that episode we did a month ago. And and I think that this is really kind of like where we're going to start seeing AI move over the next year in marketing, where enough of this, like, wow, we have this thing. It could do this. I wonder what people will do with it, you know, and as opposed to businesses being like, look, we don't really care what else you could do with our image generator. We think it should be working in your ads, and we think this is the best way to monetize it. And this makes a ton of sense, I think, because you have a lot of small mom and pops that are in the Amazon marketplace that can't create ads, and you have larger businesses that if this is as good as Stable Diffusion are probably going to take advantage of it, at least iterating their own already existing creative and providing new options. Like you had said, give Jeff that red t-shirt this time, give my model the blue shirt this time, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And Amazon in its release also says 75% of its advertisers Cited building ad creators and choosing a creative format as their biggest challenge. So they know that there's a, a hunger for this. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's got a lot of legs. It's got a lot of implications though for creative agencies. My friend, you're much more the advertising uh, guru here. I'm going to dish to you for your analysis. Yeah. I think that, you know, sort of the, you know, the, the stat that you cited, you know, about 75% saying building ad creatives is a challenge for them. And, you know, this is 75% of a pretty big market. I think Amazon's ad business is something like $12 billion a year, if I'm not mistaken. And I think they represent something like 80 or 90% of all digital retail media spend. So that's not surprising, right? Because they're the 800-pound gorilla of e-commerce stores. Um, and a lot of that money, obviously, is related, as you pointed out, to marketplace. 
toy sellers. So um, it, it really, in a lot of ways, levels the playing field there. Because if you're a major brand, you're a, a Hanes and you're selling T-shirts, you can certainly afford to have a shoot with pro models on a pro set with a nice background, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and present your product in the proper light that attracts buyers and gets them excited and lights up eyeballs and gets them to click by. If you're, you know, a, a no, a no brand, you know, kind of like no logo in the back of the shirt kind of t-shirt seller, um, chances are you're not going to be able to have the same kind of product presentation. Um, so what this really does is it allows those guys to present their product in a better light to make the product more appealing to, um, I know the, the press release or the article blog post about the announcement, you know, showed a toaster, right? And instead of shooting a toaster on a plain white background in a light box or whatever, um, you know, you can now put a background and make it look like it's in a beautiful high end kitchen, right? You know, when you present your product like that in situ, it obviously looks far more appealing. You, the buyer can, picture it in um, in their home a bit better and it also frankly makes your product appear better than it would have on a plain white background in those cases um, so it really levels that playing field I think for the little guys I think at the same time it is potentially disruptive for sort of retail type ad agencies there are a lot of ad agencies that are all about making your product pop on Amazon yeah. and they work even with big brands right so yeah, yeah. you know when can see this taking the bottom part of their business and eating right. it. Right. I mean, the highest, highest end, obviously, is going to continue to be the highest, highest end. But there are so many instances where if you've got, you know, a bottle of a soft drink or a water or a package of, you know, cosmetics or whatever, shoot it on a green screen or a plain white background or whatever, and just replace it out seasonally or show it in different scenarios and situations is so much faster and cheaper than hiring a real photographer. So there is that potential to kind of eat the bottom of that market out. Um, the I think the the downside to me is I already know uh, many people. It's not just me. Know that legitimate brands often find themselves struggling because of the algorithm and because of the way Amazon presents uh, search results and because there's just so much junk in. Oh, the, there's a the ton of crap out there. That, oh my god that you know a legitimate you gotta be a prompter to get what you want on Amazon right, that, right. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know for every one legitimate product you know that a manufacturer has paid good money to develop and maybe even has you know patent protection around there's yeah. going to be an illegally produced cheaply produced knockoff and right. one of the advantages that in theory the legitimate rights holder of the original product as is they can afford to spend a little bit more on marketing they can present the product in a way that uh, elevates it visually in the um, you know in the in the e-commerce space um, now all of a sudden every cheap knockoff from China or Indonesia or wherever that's made for pennies on the dollar and will fall apart after the second or third use has the potential to look just as good if not better than the original 
original product. So I right. think it's going to exacerbate the challenge that these kinds of brands have because all of a sudden the junk you're trying to compete against that Amazon's serving up um, is going to look and feel just as good as the thing that you're selling at a premium. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, it, it'll be disruptive in some ways and, I think there is going to be a pinch, though. I do feel like this is one of these things where our brethren, our, our sisters, uh, are going to feel particularly smaller agencies, but also the larger ones. They're going to they're going to lose that bottom third of the market that struggles to pay for this. Like if right. you, know, you know, and I think if that, they're in the beverage marketplace, yeah. if yeah, we know Gatorade and Coke and all those guys have the money, but like if you're like a you can. You know, or a smaller, like, none type of hydration drink. And I know these only because of the running thing, but like, they're smaller brands. Right. They're the ones that are going to cut this. You know, they're the ones that are going to use that AI. Yeah. You know, and I think overall, it's, I think, a, a good move. I think, you know, I agree with you. Um, it's, I agree that. It's, it's smart for Amazon, certainly. It's a great benefit for a lot of their advertisers. It yeah. is, um, it is, I think, as you said, indicative of a movement we're going to see more and more in the AI market from these sort of general purpose, do what you will tool sets down to very specific use cases where the technology is closely paired with a real world application. Yeah. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense from all those perspectives. Um, and I think. Yeah. I think at the same time, um, you know, the benefits will outweigh the challenges, I think, for most brands. Uh, sure. And, I mean, it just sucks for marketers, right? And, well, I think that, you know, I if mean, you are... Mar marketing agencies. Yeah. Sorry. But, but I was going to say, though, while it can suck for, for agencies, particularly if you're a specialist Amazon agency. Right. I think that, you know, there will be sort of the uh, dividing line between those who buck against this and those who figure out how to integrate this effectively into right. their workflows to deliver better services more efficiently. And I think they could win in this scenario. I agree with that. Yeah, totally. Um, I know we were going to talk a little bit about Shutterstock, you know, with their, their approach where they seem to be uh, you know, not accepting AI generated images. Although I think that at Macon, they said that they do from their own stock of people. Um, but they now allow buyers to use, uh, generative AI to edit photos or for license on the, on site, you know, which is kind of like, you know, what Firefly's doing. I, you know, I, I kind of feel like Shutterstock's being conservative. You know, they're playing a, a, a kind of a safe game kind of seeing how this thing plays out, but I do know that they're actively experimenting with it. So maybe they're just kind of taking a wait and see approach and letting everybody else figure out what's the ethical quandary of it. And, and you know, I mean, I think the one thing that Shutterstock and Getty face from the stock perspective is that like everybody else on the image generation side, they're, they have to deal with Adobe and Adobe is like actively pumping these AI yeah. generated images yeah. into there. I mean, there are clearly people that are very good at using Firefly because I look at some of the stuff that I'm seeing on Adobe stock. I use stock, uh, Adobe stock. Um, the AI art's fantastic. And I'm like, how do these guys use Firefly to create this? Yeah. 
Right. I would love to see the props for those, man. I'm like, man, cause everything that I see coming out of there is pretty crappy, but I don't know. Right. Yeah. Maybe I just create Muppets on Firefly. Yeah. What I, I don't know. know. I mean, I think that, <laughs> you know, whether, I mean, I guess whether it's, you know, Shutterstock or Getty or Adobe or whatever, I think, you know, when you're looking at the stock market, stock imagery market to be clear yeah, I was about to say please don't yeah, it's been painful that, that correction market ah. right now but the, <laughs> but the stock imagery market you know i think that you know it kind of is you know a lot of these applications of you know sort of, of the features we kind of fall into that general category of ai is not a product it's a feature right and the you know, when you, whether they're doing a good implementation at this particular moment in time or whether it leaves room for improvement, um, and whether you think they're being conservative or aggressive with how they're integrating AI in, it only makes sense that if you are in the business of visual imagery as, you know, within the context of this show, that you need to be thinking about what kinds of AI features and functionality can you bake into your offering as part of your native solution so that people don't need to be bouncing around and I mean, they'll do it nonetheless anyway, right? But to some extent, but the extent to which you allow somebody say who's looking at a Shutterstock image, but, um, you know, hey, I need, you know, three of the people in orange shirts because my corporate color is orange, or I need to apply this kind of a filter, or I need it to be a wider shot with some copy space, or I need fewer white guys and more women of color and modify an existing style image, um, you know, I think that kind of thing makes the product so much more versatile. I wonder what they're doing with their licensing uh, agreements now with image creators, because I could see, because just knowing photographers are just so persnickety about this kind of thing, like I could just see some of them being like, you can't alter my image. Right. And I don't know, I don't know that angle. I know that they've said, they've made a point of saying that even if, you know, when somebody purchases an image that they have modified through prompts, um, that the, have the original source photographer will still be credited and will still be paid. But, you know, to your point, and I don't know, I mean, I know, like, uh, I don't want to sound, I don't want this to come out the wrong way. Like, I know, like, a real photographer will be very persnickety about that stuff. The extent to which... My- my image the, of Joe Biden and altered it. Yeah, to the extent to which a a non editorial stock photographer is that yeah. snickety, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Somebody that's making a lot of bank off of Shutterstock probably right. knows the game. Right, know? they just figure I'm happy to sell. You know, it's it's a it's yeah. a volume play. I assume, uh, and I assume too. If you if you're an elite photographer, maybe you can get away with that. But right. knowing also the photography marketplace, even the very best have to scrap for money. Uh, it's right. a lot like the music business where you have to be basically Taylor Swift or your scum. Right. You know, and not that everybody that performs and issues records is scum, but you know what I mean? From a financial standpoint, there's a, an elite level and then there's the rest. And the rest is just about 99%. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's, let's well, move on. Let's move well, on. On the subject of the rest, uh, the rest, shade. the rest <laughs> fight back. Um, so we've spoken about 
this sort of challenge on other shows, of course, and we've even spoken about some of the pushback. Um, but as I'm sure everybody who listens to this program knows, there is a lot of um, complexity around the extent to which the large AI model developers like OpenAI and Google and Meta and all of the others are scraping internet data, right? You know, they've essentially scraped the entire internet plus a whole bunch of other assets and resources and stockpiles of data in order to train their models. And we've spoken right. before, for example, about how um, the pile, which includes the full text of 180,000 or so books, including mine, but more <laughs> importantly from, you know, authors like Stephen King and so on and so forth have made their way into the training set for models like GPT-4. We've spoken about Sarah Silverman, for example, um, who um, has uh, pursued a lawsuit against right. the um, against OpenAI and I believe others. Uh, we've spoken about how some of the large um, mainstream media publishers have taken the step of blocking OpenAI AI's crawler. So, for example, <laughs> New York Times can no longer be crawled by OpenAI. Thank God. Um, right? <laughs> right? I mean, what were you going to do without the New York Times in there? But, um, you know, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, fundamentally, the question becomes when a large language model, when the next round of training comes around as they're building GPT-5 and GPT-6 and 10 and 12 and 50, uh, assuming we stick with this LLM-based right. AI, which is well, not a sure-shot thing, right? There we're seeing like, the value of data, for sure. Were, but yeah. you know, certainly, you know, certainly there is a question as to whether these models would become less effective over time as the highest quality writing is is being protected from a crawl, right? Um, you know, whether you agree with the content of the writing is a different story, but certainly the typical New York Times reporter is a competent writer. Certainly Stephen King is a an evocative story, an imaginative storyteller, right? right. Um, so if all of a sudden a model can't train on these things and instead is training on a bunch of AI-generated content or Reddit shit posts or tweets or whatever, um, that fundamentally changes what the model will be capable of doing. So... And this is what everybody's talking about, right? You get what right. you pay for it. When you're when you're crawling a bunch of free stuff, you're going to get free crap, right? So yeah. um, the other side of it, as it relates to the world of imagery, visual arts, is that um, you know certainly many many artists um, have found that the image generators are using their internet published artwork as training material. And so much so that in many cases, you could even ask uh, Midjourney to replicate a specific artist's style, and right. it will do a damn good job of replicating that artist's style. The kind of thing that might get you or me sued for a forgery. Uh, you know, no, I've done image. images of Washington, D.C. that you know, landmarks that look like stuff that I've seen on Instagram that either I or a handful of photographers right. I know in the local community could do, but not many others could. So, right. I mean, it's clear to right. me that it's clear. Like, 
right? it's clear that it's being indexed. Right. And, you know, and, you know, so what's, what's, what's happening now, which is an interesting development is, um, some developers are providing artists with tools, uh, that allow those artists to essentially embed a poison pill into artwork that they publish online. Um, So the latest of these um, is a tool called Nightshade, uh, which I guess is appropriate. We are recording on Halloween (laughs) Nightshade. We should do some kind of like, kind of, um, but um, it was developed by uh, a, a, a team working under a gentleman named Ben Zhao. I don't know Ben Zhao at all, except that I know that he's a professor at the university of Chicago presumably working in machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, And they had previously released a tool called Glaze. And what Glaze allowed an artist to do was to sort of embed a, you know, sort of embed data into an image that would essentially mask the artist's style. Right, poison poet. Right. So that, so that if, you know, if it looked to you and me like, you know, I don't know, like a, like, you know, some kind of like a high fantasy kind of, you know, novel cover to the AI, it might look like a Porky Pig cartoon, right? It's got a, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so my image. understanding is Nightshade kind of goes a step deeper <clears throat> where the poison pill will do something like, you know, it'll look, the art will look fine to the human eye. But pixels will be altered in a way that will change the meaning of those pixels to an artificial intelligence. So, right. you know, a cat becomes a cow, a dog becomes a duffel bag or whatever. It's, it's playing off of the language of electronics, which is ones and zeros, versus the language of humans, which is visual. Because in reality, we know that AI can't see the imagery. It just comes to recognize right. shapes. Right. Based off of computational uh, um, likelihood. I mean, everything's probability with AI. Right. So essentially what happens is, you know, if, if, if some substantial number of artists embed this nightshade poison pill into their artwork, um, and next time around, you know, next time an open AI or a Google or a stable diffusion or any but mid journey comes around to scrape the internet's worth of art and this artwork is included in that scrape, um, that artwork will essentially arrive infected or corrupted into the large language model, right? Yeah. And then my understanding is because the, um, not the large language model, but the model, the algorithm. Right. Um, and then my understanding from what I've seen is um, because of the way a lot of these algorithms work, the, you know, if, for example, it's a picture of a dragon, um, because that, you know, the, the concept of dragon will be correlated with the concept of fantasy, uh, right. which will then in turn be correlated with the concept of Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and the Khaleesi, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that all of these things could potentially become infected in a way that the next time somebody prompts mid-journey for a high fantasy image featuring a dragon, that person will end up with something that looks totally unlike what they're asking for. Sure. Um, so the idea is that it kind of propagates across the, alg- the, the algorithm in a way that essentially renders a lot of prompts useless. So right. it's, it's, it's hard idea, to find the images that get rid right, of them. Right, you can't find the, the bits and bobs and pixels and whatnot that are spread throughout the entire algorithm. So 
or the data set. So um, what's interesting about it is it's a very devious way to kind of for I don't it's, know. Like, it's kind of like a hacker being getting reverse hacked, right? But right. but the thing is, is like, how does the average photographer, for example, or the average illustrator, get this in there? Do they put it in Adobe? Is Adobe going to let them do this? No, well, that's a question, right? Yeah, right. Know how like, they figure so it out. you have to use you have to go on the site and embed it in your pixels. So I mean, I could see this not getting far. I could see it being used by some. Um, and I can also see, I mean, frankly, let's be brutally honest. I mean, the, just like cybersecurity, these guys are going to figure out what the code is and then they're going to recognize images and spit them right back out. Like, I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, right? Oh, come on, right, come on. Because we know, well, the, here's the problem though. Like right now we know for a fact that open, like chat GPT or GPT-4 can't recognize AI generated text. Um, we know that, um, but I guarantee yeah, you this has there, a signature. You know, any, any, I guarantee you it has a signature. Like any technology around watermarking or signatures or protection or whatever are very difficult right now. Like they're like very nascent and hard to implement and hard as this will be. Right. right. So I think it's, you know, there could potentially. But it doesn't be have to these. pull it out. Right. It just has to throw out the image. Right. Assuming right. it can identify it. Right. If it can identify it, it just doesn't index it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I agree with you. I don't know how big of an, I don't know how big of an impact it will have. I don't know how many artists are likely to actually do it. Yeah. Based on whether how, whether it will be difficult or not. It'll be interesting to see too, uh, frankly, because there is a, like, in all the things that Adobe touches, because like every other kind of large player, they have lots of little competitors and little segments. Yeah. So in the design space and in the uh, video and photography editing space, it has competitors. Sure. Like uh, 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 Aperture and uh, uh, Luminar and all these other little players. Um, I could easily see them maybe licensing this and selling to photographers and being like, oh, if you use Adobe, your stuff's going to instantly be indexed. Protect your works. Mm. But yeah. then... And then let's get back to the Shutterstock example, though. Does Shutterstock accept images from people that use Nightshade? Right, right. Yeah, I think it's less about, you know, to me it seems like it's less about, like, first of all, less about photography than it is about, like, other forms of visual arts. I get the sense that the people who were most excited about this are like illustrators or sure. digital artists who have a unique style. Um, like the woman who I believe did all of like the, a lot of the illustration work for um, Animal Crossing, you know, which is a very popular Nintendo game. Um, I've seen her posting things about this and how excited she is because she's seen her work ripped off and her right. style is popular enough that people are creating forgeries of it and she has actually taken all of her artwork off you know that she controls off of the internet um, so she has no online portfolio right now um, and she intends to use tools like this to protect her own portfolio knowing that you know with a very popular art art style of course she would be 
a great candidate for the next scrape, right? Um, and she's like, you know what? If you want to scrape my artwork and infringe on my intellectual property, then go ahead and poison your own model. See if I care. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. You know, I understand there's, I, you know, it's like, it's interesting because on the one hand, you know, we've talked about, you know, what is the value of content, right? And certainly there is like a whole kind of world of, you know, hurt <laughs> in the way these models have been trained, right? right? For people who have invested, you know, in many cases, their entire life's work into whether it's visual arts or video or text and thought leadership or whatever stories poetry etc cetera, etc cetera, where essentially you have a handful of tech bros saying that's the property of the world we are part of the world we own your ip right um, but right? this is symptomatic of the larger debate you know which you know? is you know whether something like a nightshade specifically works um, but I'm, think I'm still very skeptical. I think it's that. indicative of essentially a pushback, right? You know, a kind of a, a pushback against the grabbiness of big tech. Um, and there is know, a data war that's coming. You know, it's really clear that, you know, everybody is looking at wall gardens or protection mechanisms. Nightshade is, and I, I agree with you that Nightshade is a symptom of that data war that's coming. If you look at all content forms in some way as data, that's, that can either be protected or ingested. It's right. one or the other. Right. Yeah. Where do you sit in that? And I think we've talked about this before, but I don't think we've gotten really deep into the implications of it. Probably should, you know, maybe that's a, uh, an episode later down the line, but you know, the problem with a tool like Nightshade and with some of the mechanisms that came out with ChatGPT, for example, for academics, you know, to check whether or not something spun back in the spring, is that it's kind of like a David versus Goliath situation. And, you know, there has to be some sort of legal action or regulation to protect copyright to make these things have a lot more teeth. Otherwise, it's guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's, it, it's, it's asymmetrical warfare, right? Because right. it's like, you know, you're building a company that's worth $80 billion or whatever the valuation of open AI is on the back of the work of somebody who maybe made $800, right? And it's wrong. You know, it's it, wrong. there is something fundamentally lot. wrong in that, you know, yeah, so yeah. I think that if nothing else, all of these lawsuits, depending on how they play out and, you know, and the emergence of tools like a nightshade or a glaze or, you know, anything else that might come or even the extent to which, uh, you know, Biden's executive order or other regulatory things in other regions even address the notion of copyright protection. Um the, you know, it, it, it raises awareness around the disparity and the, um, sort of the, the, not just the legal, but even the ethical and moral issues around the way big tech uses whatever kind of data it is we put out there in the world. Um, and that, that's been an issue that's far preceded this yeah, well, it's, of it goes back to Meta, right? Twitter, and all those guys. Absolutely. By the way, say hi to the right? rock. <laughs> yeah, that's my kid. I'm blaming my kid for that one. 
They like to sit on the rock. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think on that note, I think we. <laughs> We've completely trolled our own show. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we're. I think we've done our job. We should pick that up. Though. Let's let's are. do that on another episode. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. um, yeah. but for now, let's let's call it a show. Let's uh, let's. What's your brainer, through, man? Do what's my brainer? Um, let's see. My brainer would be. Um, geez, I didn't even give thought to Don't a sit on the rock. It's one of those. What was that? Don't sit on the rock. Don't sit on the rock. That's, that's the brainer. No, I would say, you know, to me, the brainer this week really comes down to um, the, I think it's a, I, I find it to be a, even though I am not myself a visual artist, I find it to be a positive thing for the space that we are starting to see some real advancement and innovation less so maybe than like, you know, less so maybe in the world of like the shutter stocks and even Adobe, it is their model getting better and blah, 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 blah. But I would say more in the land of say an Amazon where the innovation is becoming use case specific and it's tangible and it's useful. There's a real business case. It solves a real problem. Problem. It's not a pro- It's not a solution in search of a problem, right? Um, you know, and I think that the brainer is we're st- you know to me is that getting down to business, right? It's yeah, we're getting down to business. We're getting to the real stuff. You know, I kind of you know when you think about the Gartner hype cycle and how was it whenever their last hype cycle for AI came out or for tech really and generative AI was sitting right at the very tippity top of the peak, right? And you know, ready to go down that roller coaster ride into the trough of disillusionment to me like while a lot of people will kind of fall away and go by the wayside and you know forget about ai and now the ai bros who are posting about prompting on linkedin right. 20 times a day will be on about who knows what augmented reality or something whatever's next for them but i think what happens in that ride down the trough and into the trough is the people who intend to make good use of the tool, get serious about it. And, you know, I think what we're starting to see is some of these even big tech companies get serious about providing real tangible practical solutions, not just pie in the sky, pipe dream, general purpose systems. Right. And And move away from hype to real. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, you know, to me as part of this brainer, it's like if you're a marketer, you know, keep your eye out for those kinds of opportunities because those opportunities will be equally disruptive, right? The smaller agency or the A, the Amazon, um, retail agency specialist who doesn't get on board with these kinds of tools, who starts to feel the pinch. But then there will also be tremendous opportunity for finding ways to integrate these tools and innovate your own business model. Right. I will say for the no-brainer, we're looking at a horse race. So don't get wet to a tool, man. Just be willing to adapt and throw out tools whenever something new comes up. I mean, like we made a joke at the beginning about not using ChatGPT, but I'm using Claude pretty much almost for like 70% of all my text work now. And, uh, you know, it's just because I find it matches my style better and what I really want from it. So, you know, and I, I'm not wed to Claude. 
I'm went to whatever works for me today, and I know that whatever AI I have today won't be anywhere near as good as what I have in six months. Yeah. So keep that, moving. Yeah, keep moving. That is, that is so important, right? You know, the, put the tool to work for you. Don't work for the tool. Right? Exactly. You know, and and you know, you don't want to get so fixated on the specific technology that you don't have the ability to pivot and adapt and evolve as the tool set changes. As every HubSpot user on earth will tell you being locked in. Oh, oh, <laughs> did I go there? I did. On that happy note, everybody, if you are a regular listener or just listening for the first time, please rate us on iTunes. Give us a like on YouTube. Uh, share it with your friends. Subscribe. We really, really appreciate it. We take feedback. Go to the nobrainerpodcast.com site and send us a message. Uh, and of course, we look forward to seeing you in just two weeks, which will be our pre Thanksgiving episode. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? John Cass hosts a great podcast called The State of Global Agile Marketing. John, tell listeners what to expect from the show. The State of Global Agile Marketing seeks to discover how agile marketing is being deployed in different countries around the world. I interview marketers at brands, at agencies, or who are consultants, and explore how companies in different countries are now using agile marketing. Agile marketing is the use of agile methods to manage the marketing process. Interesting. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at globalagilemarketing.com on marketingpodcast.net or search for the state of global agile marketing wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.